standing on the dock at Southampton Trying to get to Holland or France The man in the Mac, he said, you gotta go back You know they didn't even give us a chance Christ, you know it ain't easy You know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Finally made the plane into Paris Honeymooning down by the Seine Peter Brown caught to say You can make it okay You can get married in Gibraltar to Spain Christ, you know it ain't easy You know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Drove from Paris to the Amsterdam Hilton Talking in our beds for a week The newspaper said, say what you're doing in bed I said we're only trying to get us some peace Christ, you know it ain't easy You know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Saving up your money for a rainy day Giving all your clothes to charity Last night the wife said Oh boy, when you're dead You don't take nothing with you but your soul Made a lightning trip to Vienna Eating chocolate cake in a bag The newspaper said She's gone to his head They look just like the gurus and drag Christ, you know it ain't easy you know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Caught the early plane back to London 58 was tied in a sack The men from the press Say we wish you success It's good to have a book by the back Christ, you know it ain't easy Okay, I actually did work. <laughs> I switched my speakers around. That seemed to fix the problem. Oh, nice. I, I, I was I was confused there. I was like, is this, is this a bit? Is this like an Andy Kaufman style bit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we've figured it out. Genius oh, moment. <laughs> excellent. Well, it, yeah, it's not a podcast recording without the obligatory technical <laughs> difficulties. Mm-hmm, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, how's it going anyway? Yeah, I'm good. I'm prepared for anything. That's me. Oh, I'm excellent. ready. Well, well, as am I, because I've just recently finished rewatching all three episodes of uh, of Get Back. Wahoo! <laughs> uh, I'll just make make sure I'm recording on my side. All right, I'm I'm pressing record now, and for that, I'm gonna do a screen for you. Ah! There we go. That's... Okay. That's the moment of recording. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. I've got mine recording now as well. 
uh, I won't do I won't do a scream, but I'll be able to sync it up regardless. I think. Um, Hopefully, but you know, a scream is just a, a kind of good luck charm. I feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I've got the MP3 Skype recorder p- program going, which like I always try and have going as a backup just in case I like forget to do my actual good quality recording mm. and then i forgot to do both last time so we, we lost <laughs> oh, loads no. of really fire material god i had a podcast once it was like a twin peaks rewatching podcast and i think we got like a few episodes out but we oh, recorded nice. a whole bunch of them and then my friend who was responsible for editing the whole thing so had all the files their computer died and <sighs> and we lost everything that we hadn't yet released and it was so much and we were like well fuck this i guess <laughs> <laughs> at least you still have like the legend of the great yeah. lost works yeah. yeah no it was a great it was good fun and then it all fucking got deleted oh. sad sad times <laughs> that sucks <laughs> what was the podcast called it was called fish in the percolator when twin peaks the return aired i was listening to loads of twin peaks podcasts so i, mm. I don't know I, I may have encountered it back then but but like I say, there are quite a few Twin Peaks recap podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I think there was even one. I don't know if there was one actually called Fish in the Percolator or just similar referencing that line in some way. But we struggled to find a name. We were like, oh god, they're all taken. Were, we, yeah, yeah, we found quite a few, and we're like, oh okay, all right. <laughs> There's the one I think I'm mutuals with some of the people from it diane podcast i guess that, that's mm. i think it's just called diane not diane podcast but, um, <laughs> diane podcast no that's pretty good though <laughs> yeah that's quite a good one i think and if i recall a, a good podcast yeah so uh you're you're down to uh, talk for the next uh, seven and a half hours right so we can yep, give this seven and a half hours the full, that's uh, what we need the full treatment you know maybe we'll do it justice in that time i mean I think, yeah, we may as well do a sort of commentary over every second of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You can watch Get Back, and then you can watch Get Back again, but with our beautiful commentary over it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it, then listen to the commentary while just, like, walking around doing stuff, doing doing your daily chores, and then watch it with the commentary, so you'll have basically... lived this story like three times you really get to absorb it (laughs) yeah (laughs) like just imagine you're in the beatles oh i do i mean (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm the woman one in the beatles (laughs) (laughs) i guess we might as well just go into discussing the stuff i guess (laughs) just (laughs) dive right into it yeah i've i've never you know, I, I I'm never good at like uh, the formalities of of podcasting. I just kind mm, of like that's to fair. Like, Fuck it. Yeah, just to go into it. But yeah, like for listeners at home, I'm joined by Lily, who is on Twitter at Cub Moth. Oh, well, not anymore. It's not, not Cub Moth anymore because I changed my username. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it is it Moth Cub now? It's Moth Cub with a underscore on the end of it. Did somebody else take Moth Cub on its oh, own? Oh, you bet. Yeah, someone took the Twitter account Moth Cub a and very then never, <laughs> never tweeted once, never got a single follower until my friend followed them to annoy me. Ah, <laughs> uh, what? 
what a what a bastard not not your friend i mean but probably them as well in, in this case but but yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> you you need to buy them out i think like that's the next stage is to track i'm getting down jeff bezos on the case to buy them out <laughs> to seek them out and get them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's mothcup underscore i draw big bunnies that's what i do <laughs> are you also properly at moth curb like on your youtube channel because i know that's yeah, one of your main yeah, outlets yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah youtube uh i'm basically now see it's really nice and neat now because i'm either moth cub or moth cub underscore everywhere whereas before it was like a moth cub or cub moth and it gets a little <laughs> bit confusing i actually changed it because i did a poll on instagram of what people call me and most of them said cub moth and i was like that's gonna be changing now <laughs> it's over for you guys now <laughs> <laughs> yeah like that's that's the opposite of what you wanted the name to be it's literally the, the wrong way around <laughs> it is yeah and it just it, it got to the point where i'm like you know it feels weird i want the consistency of being called moth cub everywhere Branding. Even if even if it's not actually quite exactly Mothcub because I can't get the damn username, at least it's more <laughs> consistent feeling, I guess. Yeah, no, you got you got to think about the, these things, you know, in, in the marketplace of ideas. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's still a marketplace. You got got to work the system. Yeah, I got to force everyone to call me by a certain name, otherwise they start going crazy. <laughs> Speaking of people going crazy, <laughs> what happens if you lock a bunch of musicians together in, in a room and tell them to make music? <laughs> Sparks Good stuff will only. fly. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff only. Uh, I wonder what other kind of group or artist that I would most want to see locked in a room. <laughs> Well, forced depends. to make an album yeah it depends what kind of room i mean if we're talking about prison you know like the <laughs> people like a lot of the people a lot of them did i'd say jerry lee lewis actually is the one who i mean he's probably spent nights in jail in his life after particular drunken binges like when he went to graceland and tried to kill elvis or something mm. but no i think there are things jerry lee lewis did that i would like him to be locked in a room for him <laughs> i think pretty sure he's still alive somehow i think what i would like is to get s club seven locked in a room and forced to make an album just like without producers and songwriters and stuff so they no, got... just them yeah just them and they can really like feel their creativity and i, I just want to see like what they come up with <laughs> so they'd be like on garage bands sequencing yeah. beats <laughs> yeah I, I, look i i think like there's often at least one genuine instrumentalist within a girl or boy band it, it's obviously yeah, a cliche I mean, that I, everyone I know. in those bands can't play music but i mean obviously a lot of them can't <laughs> it's also been so long since they were truly s club seven that it'd be interesting to see anything that they could do like what would they be up to do how would they even be joking around do you they know? still have interesting seven members i mean i think this i think the last time i heard about them it was just a few of them that were doing some kind of performances so is it just, do they just call it like S Club, like when the Jacksons Maybe, yeah, they didn't probably... have Michael Jackson, so they, yeah, they, they weren't yeah. the Jackson 5. They're just an assortment of Jacksons. An assortment of Jacksons, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did the S stand for though, you know? 
S Club? Socialism what a- Club. Hey! <laughs> there you go, that's yeah. it. No, if, if, trying to reclaim commercial <laughs> pop music for progressive causes. That ain't me. <laughs> I was going to say, it, it would be funny if it turned out that they were, but S Club 7 were all along some kind of socialist front of some sort. <laughs> but, like, you've actually seen all this talk about which 60s bands were CIA fronts, basically, were, oh, like, God. part of the MK Ultra program. <laughs> and, like, the main one that people suggest over and over again is The Doors. Right, okay. <laughs> You know, the Doors are quite a sort of reviled band in many ways. Like a popular band, but a reviled band, a, wi- <laughs> a widely derided band. Like, personally, I think they're, they're quite good, but they are a, a laughable band. I see, I see why people <laughs> react the way they do. But I just, I fail to see the political utility of, of, of the Doors to, to the CIA. <laughs> Like Jim Morrison just like screaming about wanting to kill his dad and fuck his mum. What yeah. how does that fit into the US imperial agenda? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but when you say that, I do instinctively think, yeah, the CIA would want this. Yeah, I I mean They would want it. They just I feel that deep within my soul. <laughs> some, yeah, they wanna sow depravity uh, in the hippie movement so they can point and say, Look kids, don't be like that Jim Morrison, join the army. <laughs> Jim Morrison was just one of the biggest fuck ups of all time, just constantly drunk, constantly on acid, constantly mm. getting arrested for getting his penis out on stage. Like Again, I just think, were you recruiting people as CIA operatives? Yeah. Not, you know, (laughs) not that, like, I'm sure there are a lot of, like, hard-drinking CIA operatives, but Jim Morrison, he'd be hard-drinking and then just record strange blues poetry. He's like, Hitler's alive and he's living (laughs) in my garden. Again, maybe he w- he wanted out and he was trying to right, tell yeah. people about what the CIA were up to. Blinking twice to let us know. <laughs> That's why they killed him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he knew too much. No, Poor if anything, Jimmy. Jim Morrison knew far too little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, linking us into our main topic of conversation for today. I saw this about the Beatles. Mm. Um it just struck me as American exceptionalism to see that. Britain has intelligence services too, okay? Right, that's true, we do. Would the CIA be really into specifically getting these Liverpool boys? <laughs> <laughs> they actually have, yeah, the CIA have a big Liverpool branch. <laughs> they got Freddie and the Dreamers, they got Jerry and the Pacemakers. <laughs> They're out there making moves. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned Jerry and the Pacemakers. You know, the band for Beatles could have been. <laughs> I fundamentally think that's really silly. <laughs> like, I mean, Beatles, ridiculously well-documented band. I think there would be more, like, non-mad conspiracy stuff about the Beatles. You know how, like, there's conspiracy theories that are just stupid stuff, like mm. fucking reptiles or whatever. Okay, maybe there's a little bit of truth to that, but, you know, <laughs> like, Flat Earth, like, that that kind of stuff. And then there's stuff like JFK, which is just, like, straight facts. 
And, uh, <laughs> and, and I think that if there was some stuff that was like an exhaustive scholarly volume on like CIA links to the Beatles organization, I'd be like, yeah, okay, interesting. But it's just like Paul is dead type, right? <laughs> type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, something would come out about that. We've seen so much weird info about the Beatles. I think we'd figure it out. I think we'd be figuring it out, you know? <laughs> I think we'd have a very obvious... I don't know, we'd have, like, a full recording of the boss of the CIA being like, yeah, 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 get the Beatles here. Get the Beatles on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, they're the... What the fuck are they called? The Scooby-Doo gang? oh yeah yeah get the beatles in on this to unmask this ghost right now (laughs) yeah i i i i have to say like i don't really buy it but i do wonder if the paul is dead conspiracy theory did ever like intersect with cia type Mm. rumors about the band you know like that they killed paul again because he knew too much (laughs) you know in the famous accident where he lost his hair you know that ringo sang about in don't pass me by that was meant to be an allusion to paul's death in in i think 1966 is when paul was supposed to have died i guess right so he's so he's not in get back He's not in there. No, that's a different guy. Some fucking fraud. Very talented musician and all. That's Steve. That's (laughs) Steve McCrumple. (laughs) (laughs) He blew his mind out in a car in a day, and life was supposed to like be kind of spilling, you know, a bit of a a bit of the beans, uh, spilling a bit of the beans about how uh, (laughs) those beans. Yeah, Paul died in a tragic car accident, or was it an accident? Was it like a Diana thing? You know, again. Straight facts. <laughs> Straight facts, yeah. <laughs> the uh, Queen killed Paul. Yeah, it, I mean, that could well be it. The Royal Manarchy... Royal Manarchy... What the fuck? <laughs> the, the Royal Family, the Monarchy, felt <laughs> threatened by the, the newfound primacy of these lovable mop tops from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. They were like, these people are effectively challenging us for the throne. and We need to cut off the head of the snake. Yeah, and that's why later on they knighted the fake Paul. Yeah, exactly, because he'd been fully co-opted by the establishment. See, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Maybe maybe <laughs> the same, I mean, it's never been much of a theory, because people have focused too much on the Brian Jones conspiracy theories, but maybe the same is true of Mick Jagger, because Mick Jagger was a really cool guy, uh, and then he just, like, <laughs> turned into a bank manager, and it's really strange. Something happened there, you know? Mm. And he, of course, got knighted as well, much to the chagrin of his bandmate, Mr. Richards. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a very Beatles thing, like uh, Paul saying, when Lennon's like, oh, I was really stoned and high. Like, yeah. do, do we need to do this in public, Mr. Lennon? <laughs> <laughs> so John alluded to Paul's death in A Day in the Life. And then Ringo, on his first original song for the Beatles, Don't Pass Me By on the White Album, when he said, I'm sorry that I doubted you, I was so unfair, you were in a car crash and you lost your hair. That <laughs> that was supposedly an allusion to Paul's death as well, uh, which had apparently in addition to killing him in this, this tragic automotive wreck had rendered him bald. <laughs> <laughs> The worst way to go. You get balded as you die. <laughs> yeah, and again, that 
also, no, uh, that would make more sense if actually if Paul was assimilated into the establishment and got knighted and stuff after being made bald but then surviving the accident. <laughs> so I don't know if that, that fits in. Maybe the Paul that they replaced him with is bald and that's why his hair was just like for like 60 years it was exactly the same <laughs> speaking of paul's hair though great that stuff. beard hello to the beard fantastic yeah michael Lindsay hogg is like have you thought of uh, wearing one of those uh, wide brimmed hats <laughs> basically like dressing as an orthodox jew <laughs> like wow what one idea dude amazing full of incredible suggestions yeah, there's so many moments where you're just like, Michael Lindsay Hogg, shut the <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> I love watching the whole saga of everybody trying to figure out where they're going to do this performance and that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like just each person suggesting a new thing and it's like, no, obviously you're not going to do that. Obviously, I mean, obviously we know watching what they end up doing which makes it even funnier, all these suggestions. Like, okay. Yeah, they do, like, the most low-effort thing possible. <laughs> like, really <laughs> iconic, but still... Right, like, oh, we'll fly to Libya. Oh, we'll go to a... We'll go to a hospital. Let's do it in a hospital. The hospital quote is hilarious. Hang on, I, I typed it out to send to you. Where, where is it? So it's Michael Lindsay Hogg, who is just, like, an incredibly posh man. It's just hilarious. But what about a hospital? But I don't mean for really sick kids. I mean, kids with broken legs. I mean, really, kind of 1944 Hollywood musical Bing Crosby kids. <laughs> a clown. A circus entertainer. <laughs> nowadays, nowadays they do it in an H&M. Yeah. <laughs> they just go to an H&M and there we go, there it is. Michael Lindsay Hogg, who directed the Let It Be documentary for, for footage for this Peter Jackson documentary that we're talking about but haven't properly introduced, <laughs> Get Back is drawn from. They're talking again about staging what would become the rooftop concert and there's just this extended shot of John Lennon's empty, vacant, smacked out gaze while Michael Lindsay Hogg is just like, well, what about we do it at an orphanage? <laughs> <laughs> and John is just like a world away and then he snaps out of his heroin haze and he's just like uh, uh no no an orphanage sounds like a shit idea <laughs> <laughs> oh god Hog just tries he keeps trying he keeps coming up with things and it's like Baby, please stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, 10,000 uh, uh, torch-bearing Arabs watching this fucking hell? Like, the concept of either it becoming, like, this huge international spectacle or being this very charity type of, oh, look, sick children type of thing. <laughs> it's so bizarre. And it makes it just so much more sweet that they end up just doing it straight up on the roof. It's so much more rock and roll as well, what they actually did. Mm. It, it, it's in keeping with getting back, you know, to returning to their roots. I love the parts where people are like, oh yeah, let's do it here in this other country or whatever. And like, oh, do we want to go abroad? Do we want to go abroad? And then Ringo just doesn't want to <laughs> go anyway. He's like, no, 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 no. no. Yeah, I, I think Ringo <laughs> had a few concerns about maybe acquiring certain things that 
he may have been hooked on uh, <laughs> in a broad locations which John would have shared. I know Ringo had a big alcohol problem, but he seemed a little bit dazed throughout this. So maybe it wasn't just John who was hitting yeah. the hard stuff at that point. I definitely noticed at least when they're in Twickenham, every cut to Ringo, he's just like fully staring off in his place and he looks <laughs> haunted. He looks so haunted. <laughs> smooth Ringo smooth haunted Ringo (laughs) to be honest I didn't really notice that maybe it's because I didn't like download the best quality rip of it or whatever it was it was like HD (laughs) but fairly compressed I guess because it was Mm. only a gig or whatever each episode if only I'd had the space to download like three 20 gig fucking super HD ones but yeah I didn't really notice the smooth Ringo kind of restoration stuff too much I didn't notice that at all. No, they look they look normal to me. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't really I don't... hang out with them on the daily basis. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I I can't. I don't know them that well. It's just we just we hang out on Sundays usually. But uh, <laughs> no, I couldn't tell. I was like, oh, I'm there. I'm yeah. there. This is real. I'm right here in the studio. <laughs> But look, I'm not, I'm not like slagging off Ringo by saying he probably had a major drug problem. His playing is so on point. He's like the most professional guy in the Beatles in competition with Paul. He, mm. he just always gets it down. He's responsive, sensitive to the others playing and singing. He can adapt quickly and pick up a song he's never played before quickly. I just came away from this thinking... I've always thought that Ringo was a master of the drums, and this confirms it for me. Yeah, and there's like little parts where you see no one's there, it's like the morning, Ringo's the one who's come in, and Ringo's getting a sandwich, you know, whatever, but like yeah. no one else is in yet, and it's like, oh, Ringo, Ringo's ready to rock, Ringo's ready to go. <laughs> and, and rock they do. Like, <laughs> for me, actually, let it be, it's almost regarded as one of the Beatles' lesser albums, if not their worst. I mean, Mm. maybe just because the 60s was such a time of radical change that the sensibilities of the Beatles' late 60s albums are so much closer to modern sensibilities than their early ones. So even though Let It Be is comparatively... People might say that, like, Please Please Me is more of a a stone-cold classic than Let It Be... Mm. let it be with for those kind of reasons of historic sensibilities appeal to a lot of people more but i really think such a great set of songs and for me it holds up now and the songs feel so much rawer and more honest than a lot of their more produced 60s stuff and i'm not like knocking Mm. sergeant pepper or abbey road or revolver or these intricate labyrinthine productions which are just like timeless albums but there is something great about them actually recording an album as a band playing together live in the studio these cast iron rock songs like i've got a feeling dig a pony two of us i guess is more of a folk song but it does have like a rock middle eight it's a really really cool album i think really really cool set of songs 
Yeah, I love just, I mean, one of the things I love about watching Get Back is hearing the song Get Back just again and again and again <laughs> and getting this cool feel for it. Like it's it's being built up and built up and built up. And in my mind, it's like you're at a campfire <laughs> with the Beatles just for hours and they're doing this song. They could have done with a campfire at Twickenham. I mean, look fucking cold. <laughs> <laughs> they're all in yeah. like these big coats, like dressed like Eskimos. Yeah, like the huge warehousey feel of that it certainly looks called cold and unforgiving <laughs> yeah but no i mean there's the, the already famous clip that everyone's sharing about where paul and george and ringo are just sitting about i think it's when they're still at twickenham before george quits the band <laughs> <laughs> they're all sat around and paul is writing on bass you know obviously paul was the bassist in the beatles but like a lot of songwriters he generally would write on guitar or piano but it's cool like he's just i guess writing with the band in mind so he's playing his bass and he's just like doing this like gallopy kind of thing he's just singing like in falsetto like (laughs) and he starts just like getting something and george is just like thinking god this is fucking shit and he just does a really like ostentatious yawn and then like paul instantly i guess is like oh fuck him i'm gonna up my game and he just like straight up comes up with jojo was a man and he like gets he actually like gets the melody it comes straight to him and that might have just been like creative editing on peter jackson's part but it is a great moment (laughs) oh yeah seeing them editorialize the names they use is really interesting when they're talking about mary whatever the hell it was and they're going through these names like what sounds good what sounds good what sounds boring what sounds bad like that's so interesting Oh, in in the song Let It Be, Mother Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a load of alternate takes where he's singing, like, Brother Malcolm or something. I'm like, who the fuck is Malcolm? Yeah, yeah, all that stuff. And they do that so much, and it's like, oh my god. You know, like, they really worked on who's what, whose names, like, who's going to be what. It's so interesting. The song let it be and the song the long and winding i don't know what i don't need to say the song long and winding road because the album's not called the long and winding road but like (laughs) those two songs they kind of stick out like a sore thumb on the album even though they are from the same sessions as all the other songs actually whereas across the universe on let it be isn't that was recorded in 1968 and then retrieved by phil Spector. Although we see them doing a kick-ass live band version of Across the Universe in the documentary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it wasn't considered usable because Lennon's going like, when they're saying nothing's going to change my world, he's going like, I wish it fucking would. (laughs) 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 But that's like a good take of the song. They're taking the piss a bit, but it reminds me of a lot of people really hate the David Bowie version of Across the Universe, which uh, mm. John Lennon plays rhythm guitar and sings backing vocals on, but I love it because it is just such like a, an ugly and hateful rendition of this beautiful <laughs> song. <laughs> so it's cool that the Beatles kind of did one of those. Those two songs, they're not really of a piece with these, what I was saying, uh, cast iron rock songs like I Got a Feeling or Dig a Pony, but they're just, they are just great songs. Like, when Paul busts out Let It Be for the first time, there's actually a really cool minute-long bluesy version from the White Album sessions that they put out of Let It Be. Completely different musically, but the core of it is there. But 
when Paul busts it out, I think like Mal Evans is saying to him, "Oh, Paul, have you got anything else?" Because I, I guess he was writing down the lyrics for all the Beatles so they could mm. know what to sing. He was like, "Paul, have you got anything else I can write?" And Paul's just like, "Oh, I've got this," and he plays "Let It Be." <laughs> <laughs> just what what have you got paul oh nothing big you know just fucking let it be <laughs> yeah no those moments are really surreal i like when he comes in and records oh darling oh darling yeah yeah with all the and echo I'm just like, oh my god yeah okay. really cool one of my favorite moments in the film is during a take of oh darling they're really ripping loose once they've moved to their own Apple Studio and Savile Road. Um, they've got Billy Preston, who I I, I want to return to in a bit because I, I don't mm. want to just briefly touch on Billy Preston here. But he's jamming with them. That things are really coming together, and they're just doing a really like ripping take of Oh Darling. And then it will kind of grinds to a halt as Yoko tells John something, and John's just like, Yoko just said the divorce has come through, and then they just like launch back into the like her divorce. <sighs> Because, uh, yeah, Yoko had been trying to extricate herself from a marriage to get together with John. And mm. so they got this very happy news and then they just fucking launch back into the take and <laughs> continue just kicking ass. And it's a great version of Oh Darling. Oh, yeah. I really love the moment that's fairly towards the end of the whole thing where Yoko Ono's having a little scream, as she does, <laughs> good times. And then little Heather comes in. She has a little scream as well. That yeah. was one of my favorite moments. And then it cuts to Linda doing the weirdest face to camera, like making a face at the camera. And I'm like, <laughs> that's a good... Like, they're all losing it. <laughs> and it is beautiful <laughs> going back to Michael Lindsay Hogg for a second there's a bit where he's talking with Linda and Linda's saying oh yeah yeah I like all their songs you know they're a great band I, d- <laughs> I don't know why her loyalty to her husband's band was being brought up but anyway she was talking about how she appreciates the Beatles music and Michael Lindsay Hogg's just like oh no I'm a much bigger fan than you <laughs> and she's like I didn't know we were in competition like it's just really like yeah. withering put down <laughs> oh god if I was in a relationship with a Beatle though I would be negging them the whole time I'd be like ah what have you done come on get real <laughs> <laughs> you're wasting your life get a proper job <laughs> yeah Maybe cut that hair, you know? <laughs> There's a funny bit when they're doing a concert at the end. They've got the split screen and they're showing all the people on the street and mm. their reactions. And the interviewer says to this old man, would you like your daughter dating a beetle? Yes! And he's just like, yeah, I'd be all right with it. Because I got money. They got money! <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, they, so good. They, they, they certainly have. <laughs> They have now, I'm sure back in those days, obviously, George sang about the tax man. <laughs> they, they, they unfortunately yeah, had to live under the terrible repression of uh, Harold Wilson's government with its heinous taxes on people who earned their wealth. <laughs> my, my, my take on capitalism is it's okay if rock stars I like are rich. True. That's uh, yeah. p- pretty much when I will tolerate wealth. You know, and it's okay if I'm rich. Oh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's um, okay as well. You know. But if other people are rich, I will be cyberbullying them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's you've it. Gotta, you've got to cyberbully people to respect people. 
Exactly. If you're a Twitch streamer and you got money, you are going down. You're dead to me. I'll kill you. <laughs> you're, you're, you're gonna you, you're gonna go out like Paul. You're gonna lose. Oh, your you've hair. got a crisp twenty pound note. I'm taking you down. <laughs> you're getting out. You're getting done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just going to when Paul busts out, let it be. I mean, I love Dig a Pony or whatever. But like at the core of it, it's like a great riff and some fucking nonsense lyrics. <laughs> and when Paul plays Let It Be, you're like, oh bloody hell. Okay, that's a proper song. Yeah. Both are great in their own way. But you really admire the sheer craftsmanship of whichever Paul McCartney you're seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. Much like Ringo, really. Just the stone-cold professionalism of Ringo. Ringo's just a joy. Like, watching this, I really was struck by, like, oh, Ringo's the best one. Ringo's the best one. Yeah. It's Ringo for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Ringo's status as a great drummer is indisputable. If you dispute it, you are either a stupid cunt <laughs> or Quincy Jones. Uh, I, and there, there's nothing in between. It's simply foolish or Quincy Jones-ish to disparage Ringo's drumming ability. And to be fair, Quincy Jones also disparaged the musical abilities of the other Beatles. So unlike certain people who like make out like George Harrison is like this fucking Jimi Hendrix wizard on the guitar but Ringo is just this like incompetent you know it's just it's just wrong I'm not even slagging off Paul sorry I I meant George because Paul is actually like just an amazing bassist virtuoso but you know I don't listen to rock and roll bands for them being virtuoso musicians but Ringo is as good at what he did as any of the Beatles and, but, and then he comes out and he and he gives us Octopus's Garden and it's like fucking say thank you. <laughs> exactly. And by uh, that, by <laughs> by what he did, I of course mean songwriting, in which he wrote two tracks that are as good as any Lennon McCartney originals: <laughs> <laughs> Octopus's Garden and Don't Pass Me By. Major songs. Now I actually do like both tracks. That's the thing. Mainly I like Don't Pass Me By for the You Were In A Car Crash And You Lost Your Hair (laughs) lyric. But Octopus's Garden, because you don't really see them working it out as a band in Get Back. You sort of see Ringo showing George the nucleus of the song. And then I think John joins on drums, actually. Yeah, yeah, because Ringo's playing George the song on piano and George is strumming along on his big acoustic guitar then john comes in and he's like what'll i be playing on this one mr starkey <laughs> and ringo's just like you'll be on the drums <laughs> <laughs> yes. the most like ringo drums moment like, in, the, <laughs> in history is classic so john does start drumming and he's a terrible drummer so they never really like make a proper take out of it john has some quip about like i imagine paul will want to drum on this one with his strong right arm a strong <laughs> left arm that's it yeah because paul's left-handed isn't he i think that'll be it but yeah <laughs> possibly a dirty subtext to that joke by lennon but then he's like i need a fucking cigarette before i get on these drums <laughs> some <laughs> more of that groundbreaking swearing that disney plus has never before allowed on their platform Ooh, edgy stuff there <laughs> to be fair on second watch there was a little bit more swearing i think than i initially realized but that's because it's very casual it's not like they're 
blasting each other like fuck you fuck this fuck that <laughs> it's just kind of casual chucking a fuck into a sentence like punctuation yeah they're just kind of frat boys fucking around i was gonna say about octopus's garden though the version on abbey road like actually has such good guitar on it like george's is playing some amazing country licks on that the... it reminds me of the playing style of clarence white who was the guitarist in the later lineups of the birds around this time uh And I said basically that George is not a kind of Hendrix-style virtuoso, but that doesn't mean he's not a really great guitarist. But Clarence White is one of a few guitarists I consider as good as Hendrix, so if you're emulating him, you're doing pretty well. I was going to mention, so there's this bit in Get Back where Peter Sellers turns up to the sessions, and yeah, it's kind of awkward, because Lennon's <laughs> just like talking his smacked-out nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> And Sellers is just kind of like, hmm, uh, yeah, uh, right, I've got to go now, see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, he pops in, he leaves. <laughs> now, apparently there was more footage there in which they appeared to be having more fun with him, where they're all talking about the night that they had where they all took loads of acid. <laughs> and so I think they wanted to keep the drug content low in this film. Mm. There's a lot of cigarette smoking. I don't think I saw a single spliff in the whole film. And I'm like, well, they must have been going up on the roof, the famous <laughs> roof, <laughs> to do that. But they mostly kind of keep the drug use as a subtext, by which I mean John looks high the entire time. <laughs> the Peter Sellers thing is a weird moment, because have you seen The Magic Christian? No. That's the film that Ringo was doing. The reason that they'd set themselves this timetable for making this film and record was because Ringo had to go off and film this movie in which he was co-starring with Peter Sellers called The Magic Christian, which is a pretty funny film where Peter Sellers is just a super rich guy who just like adopts Ringo. <laughs> he, he adopts a large adult son <laughs> and then engages in this test, which I think it's just like he wants to prove something about the way wealth functions in society by getting people to do terrible and humiliating things by paying them enough money and seeing how far he can go with this. It's something like that. Anyway, yeah, Ringo is pretty funny in it, actually. Um, <laughs> so it seemed for a while like he was going to have a really good film career. But the reason that they didn't say, no, fuck this film off, the Beatles come first, is that Apple, the Beatles company, had put a bunch of money into this film so they all had some stake in it um, mm. so yeah i think ringo also... should have been in twilight <laughs> he should have been Smooth he ringo. should have been edward he should have just been edward in twilight i think it would have been funnier <laughs> <laughs> i'm warning you with peace and love uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like uh, struggling for a joke here because I've never seen any, any of the Twilight films I guess they're about vampires so <laughs> I'm warning you with peace and love put that steak and that bunch of garlic down <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I think you've absolutely nailed the vibe of Twilight there <laughs> steak, garlic um <laughs> Yeah, uh, 
crosses. They don't like crosses. I just want to see Ringo in, you know, every movie, really. I think in my mind, I'm just going to replace a key actor with Ringo when I'm watching any movie. <laughs> Let me look up what films Ringo was actually in, because I can't think of anything <laughs> right now other than The Magic Christian. But I'm certain there's more than they were like, proper films as well not just like some shit <laughs> like like paul mccartney's give my regards to broad street like just some shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was in a film called candy which i know again because the birds did a song for it marlon Br- it's a sex farce film the best kind of farce um <laughs> it's got like a pretty satirical heavyweight writing team written by buck henry based on terry southern novel yeah i don't know if this is meant to be any good it satirizes pornographic stories the adventures of its naive heroine (laughs) candy and brando's in it and richard burton james coburn john houston walter mathout and ringo Starr. in addition wait who plays well i've never heard of a woman who plays candy eva brigitta orlin Sugar Ray Robinson, the boxer, also appears in the film. So yeah, stacked cast. (laughs) Interesting. Ringo went for it. Ringo is the jack of all trades. (laughs) Yeah, something called 200 Motels. Oh, that's a surreal film by Frank Zappa. Ooh, okay. Interesting Interesting. that Ringo is in that because Zappa made that album, We're Only In It For The Money, where he took the piss out of Sgt. Pepper's. (laughs) <laughs> if you look up the cover of it it's a cynical parody of the sergeant pepper's cover mm, roasted <laughs> yeah seen off uh, <laughs> you know ringo likes a bit of banter though he likes it's a good joke he was in a western called blind man <laughs> great name yeah marvel running out of ideas <laughs> Yeah, a blind but deadly gunman. Ringo incidentally plays someone called Candy in that. I don't know if he plays Ooh. like he plays the character that Eva What's her name played. In yeah, the film, no, Candy. same universe, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Short-lived acting career by Ringo, I think. Son of Dracula, he was in that. Lizdomania by Ken Russell about the composer Frank Liszt. Wait, what's Ringo? 1968. I meant 1978. A made-for-television comedy film starring Ringo Starr as both a fictionalised version of himself and his fictional half-brother, Ognia <laughs> Rats, like Ringo Starr okay, backwards. Good. That's good. That sounds like something I need to be watching right now. <laughs> yeah, if, I, <laughs> if that film exists anywhere, which it probably will because it's related to the Beatles definitely come back on the show to review that yeah yeah we got we got to watch that that's happening (laughs) wow george harrison's in this as well so it's actually like a beatles reunion oh interesting interesting all right lots of good stuff lots of fascinating items there oh wow okay and i mentioned paul mccartney's film vehicle give my regards to broad street from 1984 and ringo is actually in that as well Mm. and paul and i think ringo did a load of 80s style re-recordings of the classic beatles songs for that film which is what everyone needed frankly yeah yeah (laughs) look you got to adapt to the times and the 
aesthetic demands of the age of Ronald Reagan <laughs> needed to be adhered to. If Absolutely. You, if you weren't with it, <laughs> then, you know, you're just going to get left in the dust. Beatles synth pop era, please. Come on. <laughs> that's what I need. <laughs> <laughs> so that's enough of Ringo's. Wait, what? Sorry, Ringo has just had a very interesting film career. <laughs> He's in a, <laughs> a musical comedy film called Sextet, starring Mae West in her final performance. Oh my god. What? Not the Sextet with Ringo Starr. Just a. A classic tale. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 all have, have heard this. <laughs> Wait, he was in a version of Alice in Wonderland. No, it doesn't look like it was animated. Wait, who did Ringo play? <laughs> the Mock Turtle. Okay. Yes. Who? 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I know the Mad Hatter. Why did they not cast Ringo as the Mad Hatter? He wears hats. True, he could have been Humpty Dumpty. I think that would have been a good role for him. Yeah, okay. Look, I'm up for anything. (laughs) That just seems like quite a marginal role for a heavyweight, a film heavyweight of the stature of Sir Richard Starkey. Well, my first thought was that he'd be the caterpillar. (laughs) Very hungry. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it doesn't look like he's acted since a one-hour HBO comedic film called The Return of Bruno, which is a mockumentary starring Bruce Willis as his fictitious alter ego, Bruno Randolini, a legendary (laughs) blues singer slash musician who influenced, as the story goes, a number of other famous musicians. Oh, wow. Elton John, Phil Collins, Brian Wilson, Grace Slick, Joan Baez, John Bon Jovi, Paul Stanley, The Bee Gees, Graham Nash, Stephen Stills, and Ringo Starr appear in the film as themselves. Wow, okay. This is a lot to take in. This is a lot of information that I'm slapping up right now. <laughs> you know Bruce Willis's musical alter ego Bruno <laughs> Randolini don't you? <laughs> oh yes, that's my favourite character of all time. Your favourite Willis joint. You know it's like <laughs> Bruce Willis is one of these people, Like he's a true renaissance man, a polymath his musical achievements are well known as his ones yep. in the field of cinema. I listen to a Bruce Willis album every single day of my life uh, 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 excuse me, a Bruno Rad- <laughs> Radellini album, yeah, 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 yeah. a legendary yeah. blue. I love that it's blues <laughs> as well. Like imagine Bruce Willis's like, <laughs> shitty, like macho white man blues. Like <laughs> yeah, gotta do another movie to pay my mortgage. <laughs> the script is shit. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Die Hard, but we're not allowed to call it Die Hard for contractual reasons, baby. Yeah. Oh, God. Awful. <laughs> Awful. Anyway, I was just falling down a Wikipedia rabbit hole now. <laughs> that was Ringo's final acting performance, anyway. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. He provided the voice of Fibonacci sequins in the 2014 motion picture, The Powerpuff Girls dance pantsed 
Okay, good. Yep, dance pants. Okay. A comeback for the ages. <laughs> wow. Watch out, Hollywood. Ringo's back. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> He's the fourth Powerpuff Girl. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, back to the documentary, I guess. <laughs> I was struck by how productive these sessions were, because obviously the legend is that it was like pulling teeth getting anything done. And it seems like they had to do a lot of takes of any given song to get them to the kind of standard of like the performances they did up on the rooftop where they sound absolutely on fire. And that was like, they chose the songs like Get Back and I Got a Feeling, Don't Let Me Down, that they've been working on the most and for the longest time. So they really knew them backwards and forwards. But there were so many other songs like in a different world they might have chosen to focus on a different set of songs and they might have ended up with an album that had something all things must pass i mean shit almost every song on abbey road seems to get an outing right yeah in this like they got all the ones from the medley like you got mean mr mustard paul shows ringo carry that weight as a song that he might sing on one of their albums hmm I think Ringo actually does sing Carry That Weight on Abbey Road with the others. They all just sing group vocals like, boy, go on. <laughs> but yeah, there's so much good shit. And like, there's songs that went on to be on their solo albums. From Paul, you got Another Day. You got Teddy Boy. John has the nucleus of Gimme Some Truth from the Imagine album, which Paul actually helps him write, so that <laughs> Paul kind of deserved a writing credit on that one. <laughs> uh, he doesn't need the money, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. What the fuck? They did so many takes of Maxwell's Silver Hammer <laughs> that they could have easily... <laughs> yeah. I think this is also like part of the original Let It Be film, is that they did so many takes of uh, Maxwell's Silver Hammer at the Twickenham sessions when they started making the album that the others just got absolutely sick of it and they began to basically feel like Paul was hitting them over the head with a hammer repeatedly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by making them play this song. Even though the performances from Twickenham look kind of fun, like they got Mal Evans banging on the anvil with the hammer. <laughs> Good. I can't find these quotes, but they're basically all just from like, there was one each from John, George and Ringo, where they're all just like, I fucking hated Maxwell's Silver Hammer. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. And Paul is a cunt for making this play it. <laughs> uh, and, oh. and then there was just one quote from Paul like, oh, they're just making a fuss about nothing. I don't get what the big deal was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. It's, it's kind of an inventive and fun song. I mean, look, <laughs> I just, I'm just saying, like, I find it hard at some point. Like, I'm like this with Bob Dylan as well. Like, I don't necessarily view Beatles songs as good or bad. They, they just are. Right, it's like a whole, it's a whole world with the Beatles. Yeah. Would the world be be poorer if if it had never heard Maxwell's Silver Hammer? <laughs> I think maybe. Like, I think... 
Okay, I'm struggling with this contrarian take. Uh, <laughs> maybe my heart's not fully in it. But look, it's got, like, so many other kind of lightweight Paul McCartney songs. It's got a catchy melody. Um, again, struggling here. <laughs> the, the version on Abbey Road has a cool synth part. Yeah, I could definitely see it being, like, a particularly stressful song to have practiced a lot just it has a little bit of a baby shark vibe to it <laughs> can, can, can you elaborate on that no <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well it's the kind of thing i can imagine just like turning round and around in your head like mm. there's this episode of curb your enthusiasm where there's this nanny of one of larry's friend's kids who used to work at Disneyland and has been driven completely insane by the Looney Tunes uh, <laughs> ride. Every night she'd hear and not be able to sleep because of it and then she gets hired by Jeff and Susie, Larry's manager and his wife and their daughter is watching Looney Tunes and the nanny goes completely insane. Because <laughs> it 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 acts as a trigger <laughs> i think it's a specific kind of like it's just joyful enough that it would grate easily yeah if you were forced to engage with it joan was quizzical yeah i imagine all the like annoying bits about it would get really annoying as it goes on like, <laughs> one thing that i didn't realize is that paul sings pataphysical instead of mm. metaphysical and that's possibly because i'm i'm not a doctor i didn't i didn't think anything you know metaphysical is a word i know pataphysical isn't it's just that it's not that i'm like oh yeah metaphysical science i know all about that mm. it's just yeah anyway it's not metaphysical <laughs> big big revelation <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure to anyone who had a book of Beatles lyrics or whatever will will not be news, but <laughs> it's a really cool documentary though. There's this bit where they're playing Get Back and they sort of seize on the theme of getting back or indeed telling somebody to get back and start sort of referencing Enoch Powell. Mm. There's actually there is no footage. I I don't think of the Rivers of Blood speech. I guess maybe Peter Jackson found some footage of somebody reading the Rivers of Blood speech, and so there's a bit you get a bit of a documentary of Enoch Powell or somebody reading Enoch Powell's words, saying the black man will hold the whip hand over the white man, and then it cuts to the Beatles playing. Uh, Da, 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 Pakistanis da, 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 go home like <laughs> yeah yeah and you're like uh yeah okay I can see why because a lot of the performances that you see in the film that you think are really cool they were actually released this year on the let it be 50th anniversary box set but that one wasn't <laughs> and I can kind of yeah. see why that yeah. that hasn't been exhumed from the archives until now now you kind of get the context with Peter Jackson providing mm. the, the historical footage and he shows some newspaper headlines and stuff and there's a little caption saying the Beatles decided to turn get back into a protest song about yeah. anti-immigrant sentiment and I saw that I was like you call this a protest song like this is a like a a jam you know this is uh, right right just one of the many jams where they're doing funny voices and making jokes and stuff but 
then later in the film, to be fair, Paul is like, oh, we tried to turn it into a protest song, but it didn't really work. And yeah, you can totally see how this has not been exhumed from the archives until now. Because yeah. it, it could be taken the wrong way, along with the related song Commonwealth. Mm. And apparently, actually, these tracks have been circulated on Nazi forums online. Mm, yeah. There's, like, no doubt to me that the Beatles were not trying to make a pro-Nazi statement on those songs. Yeah. yeah, it's just very, like, the way they did those bits. It's that kind of flexible sort of thing, isn't it, where you can remove it from its context and then it can be used for the aims of... <laughs> freaks uh... yeah exactly for example i'm pretty sure that get back brackets enoch's version has appeared on numerous bootlegs as Mm. pakistanis go home which i'm just saying i can see why a track called pakistanis go home might be taken as say Uh a a racist track about pakistanis for example but no it was it was an attempt at satire from our lovable lads from liverpool yeah they had a go they had a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like political songs are never really their forte. And their political songs that do exist are just like, oh, fucking hell, it's too much. I don't really give a fuck. Revolution. <laughs> or, for fuck's sake, why the fuck do I have to pay these fucking taxes? Tax man. <laughs> <laughs> Although this was around the time that John Lennon was getting heavily into leftist politics. He was hanging out with a lot of hippie types and Mm. i guess that accelerated after the beatles split when he moved to america and richard nixon spent years trying to deport him but yeah it it was kind of in evidence there but not really here maybe lennon was like you know i was stoned and high last night and i was reading that (laughs) karl marx and and disney plus were like (laughs) the disney corporation told peter jackson we are absolutely not putting that in (laughs) Yeah, yeah, nix that. That's that's not that's not going in there. He's like, what the stone, the stoned and high bit? No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> the other bit. <laughs> well, they're gonna announce soon that Mickey Mouse smokes weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new Disney weed. I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they can fully gentrify that weed. Not here, of course. No. In, in no, no, no. Britain. In New York. Yeah. Or wherever. In Britain. Get your Disney weed here. <laughs> Some of us are still persecuted as political p- prisoners. <laughs> anyway, oh, we mentioned the movie and race, and I think it's quite telling in terms of how race intersects with the Beatles' music. That the sessions really get rocking when they bring a black American musician in, the great Billy Preston. Yeah, they really get into their element. They love them. They're like, hello, here's our man. Billy Preston was a musician's musician. He's like the only gay guy who Keith Richards doesn't use slurs about in his autobiography. <laughs> like, he commanded universal respect. Like, everyone loved Billy Preston. And for good reason, because you see him playing great electric piano parts on all these songs that they've just previously felt a bit empty. Yeah, he brings such a big old zest with him. Yeah, because by this point they were very much a studio band. There's a bit more kind of live in the room playing on the White Album, although often it's not all four of them, it's combinations of the different members. But 
obviously they've become like such a studio band like overdub after overdub recording all their parts separately and so when you hear a performance by the Beatles just playing in a room there's something missing you know it's like Mm. it's not quite the same as the standard the sonic standard that you would expect of the Beatles that they'd, they'd set themselves such an impossible bar but then when you add on just one extra musician it's just like oh yeah this is a great band <laughs> they, they yeah, sound really yeah, good it's, really, it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing how he just comes in and then they're so together they'd moved beyond what just four musicians could do playing live but not far enough beyond that they couldn't get a pretty good i don't want to say like simulation or whatever because i don't think live performance should just be an attempt to bring a simulation of mm. what appears on a studio album but a pretty good version of you know that Beatles sound with just one extra guy obviously a formidable extra guy like a really really talented musician it just sounds sounds real good when when they bring him in and you can see they're all having fun I like just one of the bits I really enjoyed was when they've moved into Apple basically and you get a bunch of footage of the girls bringing sandwiches and stuff like that and that was like a really oddly melancholy moment for me like there's this one blonde girl who brings in some toast or something oh yeah they basically live off tea and toast (laughs) (laughs) and I just I love those moments of seeing other people who were there that we don't know them they're just there for a second and you get that sense of context of where this is all happening in time and space and then obviously once they go out on the roof then you get to see other people yeah reacting to them they're kind of locked away yeah yeah it's like they're really locked away and then it expands in this interesting way that makes it like such a historical document not only of the Beatles doing this project but just of that space and that time and I think that's like a really nice thing about the whole documentary that yeah. we get this is Savile Row this is people and the people working there especially I love hearing about people complaining about this happening like people being pissed off and like the few people they interview who are like i don't think it's very nice this time of day or whatever <laughs> yeah 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 like oh they're disrupting business for the whole area <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah you're, you're obviously right that up until the rooftop concert they shut themselves away from the outside world but then they let parts of the world in they don't they, mm. they they let a lot of people into the sessions and i guess that kind of like links to the yoko factor which is obviously a lot of people have responded to this like yoko innocent and uh, <laughs> and indeed she doesn't seem particularly obtrusive to the sessions from what it seems like i mean this is a band that and it, maybe it was a different on the white album but on this one they had a fucking film crew (laughs) watching them constantly i mean if you've got a bunch of random guys with cameras filming you so that fucking millions of people worldwide can see whatever you're doing you know having a loved one in there doesn't seem like such a stretch and george harrison i i think like george and ringo were like the blokes blokes of the beatles you know (laughs) They're always like, if you read classic rock biographies, everyone like spent the 70s drinking with Ringo <laughs> and George 
despite his embrace of Harry Krishna and kind of hippie views in some ways, obviously strong feelings on taxation, but aside from that, like, (laughs) he was very much kind of a traditional man in the way he saw men and women, and like... Mm. He would never have dared bring a romantic partner to the studio. I think maybe you see Patty a couple of times, but only when like there's a lot of people like visiting the studio. Is that Patty Hansen? Who... No, Patty Boyd. Yeah, sorry, Patty Hansen. I think is Keith Richards' wife. Getting my Patties <laughs> mixed up. Don't confuse your patties. <laughs> he would never have dreamed of bringing her to the studio, not because he was scared of what the other guys would say, but just because he didn't want to, because he was just like, women for a home, for, for lads, for the studio. I think he had a strict delineation, so he is pissed off in a way that Paul and seemingly Ringo aren't. He's pissed off about Yoko's presence at the studios. But it seems a bit hypocritical because he's just got these fucking random Harry Krishna blokes yeah, just sitting yeah, around yeah, watching yeah. the sessions. George has brought his Harry Krishna <laughs> and everyone else is a bit like, who, uh, who's that? Uh, oh yeah, it's pretty funny uh... when, when, when like Michael Lindsay Hogg is like asking Ringo, like, who's, who's that? <laughs> who's that fellow then? And Ringo's like, oh, he's one of George's Harry Krishna mates. And Michael Lindsay Hogg is just like, Harry who? <laughs> Harry Krishna. So he, he just ends up asking Ringo, like, do you like India? And Ringo, <laughs> Ringo just goes, not really. <laughs> Fantastic banter. Good stuff. Yeah, I know, it's really interesting. You know, obviously Yoko's super present, but you see quite a lot of Linda as well. You very briefly see Ringo's wife. She's rocking out at the end while they're listening to playback of the rooftop concert. Mm. Yeah, you know, there was a lot going on there. There was a lot of people in and out. I really like the moment when they've just moved to Apple and they interview the two girls outside and they ask them, so what do you think about this relationship or whatever? And they're like, I don't think it's any of our business. (laughs) And whoever's interviewing is like, okay, good answer. (laughs) What did you want? What did you want them to be like? I fucking hate Yoko Ono, whatever. I I think they don't care because they're only there for Paul, they say. Yeah, they're there for Paul. (laughs) Well, at least the one girl is like, yeah, they can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they ask them, oh, what do you think, how you feel if the Beatles break up? And and she's just straight up like, I don't care as long as Paul's here. Like, as long as Paul's there. Well, little did she know that that he was dead. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. And they just stand there, just chilling out there. (laughs) You know what sounds really cool? Speaking of songs that didn't make the album, there's this tune, like, most of them have showed up in one place or another. Like, they all put the songs on their solo albums, or, like we say, most of the songs on Abbey Road originated in these sessions but there's this one called madman that i think they're working on when george has quit the band so like john's on keyboards paul's on guitar ringo on drums obviously and no bass and it sounds really cool and it seems to actually have lyrics and i guess it's got a bit of a mean mr mustard kind of resemblance it sounds kind of like probably a little bit more like glass onion off the white album but yeah, it really rocks. It's got like a lyric, it's like, he's wearing pink pajamas and he lives on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot like Oasis, actually. <laughs> I really wish they made something of that. They should release mm. Madman along with the racist version of Get Back. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like a perfect A side and B side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think like what would be a really interesting project for the Beatles, because they're running pretty low on stuff to spend the next few centuries releasing. Like, <laughs> they've already released most stuff that the Beatles recorded that is good. And that's what I was saying before. People have certain expectations of the Beatles track that it doesn't just sound like a kind of scrappy recording of a bunch of guys playing together in a, a room, whether it's a bad-sounding room like Twickenham or a, mm. a better-sounding one like the Apple Studio. People expect this kind of sonic adventure, a magical mystery tour, if you will, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. listening to <laughs> Beatles stuff. So these sessions haven't got their due, really. I'm looking at a little playlist I made of versions of a bunch of the different songs that they played that either weren't on Let It Be, the album, or featured in drastically different form. And there's loads of them. She came in through the bathroom window, obviously on Abbey Road. All Things Must Pass, obviously on, you can guess that one. Concentrate <laughs> on the sound. I think that's just like a short fuck around. Give Me Some Truth, about a minute or so of that pretty much emerged in the sessions. Polyphene Pam, Octopus's Garden, although it didn't properly get worked on by the band. Oh Darling, they pretty much had Oh Darling nailed in these sessions, like it could have been... Yeah sounds so good in the divorce version it's like some jam called the walk they had i want you she's so heavy at this point teddy boy from the first mccartney album much longer versions of dig it don't let me down obviously which was a b-side madman that lennon song something called Susie parker an instrumental called the palace of the king of the birds <laughs> <laughs> the band version of across the universe they didn't need to go back to 1968 to get a good version of that watching rainbows kind of a weird psychedelic track backseat of my car from the first paul mccart oh no it was from, that from ram well anyway it was a solo paul song can you dig it which is completely different to dig it commonwealth a band version of her majesty which we see in the documentary again from abbey road george's song isn't it a pity George's song Let It Down, Maxwell's Silverhammer, and something. <laughs> and I don't even think that's all. There's more tracks that they had in the sessions. And for all the talk of like, oh, they, they were against the clock, they had to get 14 songs for an album together. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> they were, they were going to do okay. They, you know, they had, yeah. they had the material. <laughs> they slammed it. They did it. <laughs> <laughs> but like... What I was saying about how there's a different expectation of the Beatles to other artists, like, apologies if this is a bit boring, but <laughs> the, like, Get Back, Let It Be project comes at a particular historical juncture in rock, which is where people were kind of growing cynical towards psychedelia. They didn't want Sgt. Pepper-type albums anymore. They wanted mm. to, like, go back to basics. Um, and so... In 1968, the band put out their album Music from Big Pink, and for example, that inspired Eric Clapton to quit Cream, and then he wanted to make more song-based music rather than flashy, jammy, like, trippy stuff. A lot of this trend was presaged by Bob Dylan recording the Basement tapes with the band prior to them making that album Music from Big Pink. Big Pink was this house 
that the band owned up in Woodstock in the state of New York where obviously uh, some some gig happened of some sort like uh, but it happened there because the organizers wanted to get Bob Dylan to play and because again like Bob Dylan had set the tone for this backlash against psychedelia by mm. retreating from the stage and from recording rock-based albums for the latter part of the 60s when he was approached to play Woodstock he was like no (laughs) they literally (laughs) did it in his backyard and he told them to fuck off (laughs) but anyway he spent 1967 recording these tracks with the band and he was just like sitting down at the typewriter and writing about 10 songs a day or something and they just like record at this breakneck pace and do some like country covers and traditional stuff as well but it was one of the most probably the most prolific periods for his songwriting ever and these recordings though they weren't released as an album until some of them came out as a double album almost a decade later in 1975 they were such a key part of the sort of movement within rock that get back slash let it be as part of and they've been rightly acclaimed as one of the greatest periods in Dylan's songwriting songs like I Shall Be Released come from that period but literally there are probably about like a hundred original songs from that time at least 60 I'd say that Dylan wrote long roundabout point getting to it is that these sessions were quite similar for the Beatles in terms of the sheer amount of stuff they just jammed out the ideas they threw out the songs that they made some attempt at in however Mm. complete or like half-hearted a fashion maybe there's some tracks where there's like two takes that you could stitch (laughs) together and you'd get a decent version but that's not what people expect of the Beatles I'd love the complete not like literally the complete but some attempt like a few years ago they did a complete basement tapes thing where they had every song pretty much that dylan and the band recorded in the basement of the big pink house in 1967 i'd love something that had all the get back versions of something and all things must pass and madman and teddy boy but i think that people expect something a little different from the Beatles to these scrappy takes. Right. Mm. Bob Dylan, he's described his studio recordings as just how the song sounded that day. He just goes in, plays effectively a live performance of a song with his musicians, gets bored after one take and moves on to another song. And the Beatles, as we see in this film, they work on songs. They play them over and over again and they come up with parts and it's such like a different uh, yeah yeah a different approach to music but concluding this long roundabout point like they had set themselves such an impossible bar to live up to because like these are great songs you know I, lo- I love the music that they were making around this time but it's still been historically viewed as a difficult and creatively a period in which they were creatively struggling because a Beatles song that's just like a rough rehearsal take of a new song that they didn't quite have yet does not sound like a Beatles song in the, in a way that like a rough rehearsal take of a song that, that he didn't quite have yet sounds just like a Bob Dylan song. Mm. Anyway, so yeah, these are, these are their basement tapes is what I'm saying. 
Sorry, that was a very, very, I've been like turning that idea around in my head for like a day and was convinced I'd completely forget to even mention it. (laughs) So I I had to, I had to expunge (laughs) that theory. Yeah, but it gives so much more to the album to be able to see this whole process. It's just so, you know, it really shows how that aspect of the Beatles is great in a completely different way to the more polished side. A hundred percent, yeah, the process thing is key, actually, I think, because I get kind of bored of biographical stuff about musicians that is just almost purely biographical, that has a focus on their personal life. And at the same time, like, Mm. I don't really want always to read, like, a close literary analysis of even Bob Dylan's lyrics. Like, see, I'd love to see some kind of... He'd never let the cameras have that kind of access to him, but I'd love to see that for him because what I'm interested in is the creative process, Mm. is how music is made. And you get so much of that of this film, just like an unprecedented level of insight into how the Beatles actually functioned as like a jobbing rock band. Yeah. Yeah, it's like such a close look at all these little aspects of it. It's like so valuable, really, just as an insight into that, into the whole thing that they're doing and what they're trying to do and the ways in which they don't get to things that they're trying to do and the ways in which they do hit it out of the park and all of that. And then, of course, the ways in which they're almost thwarted by the police. (laughs) Yeah, A a cab. (laughs) I haven't said that in ages. A C A B, yeah, <laughs> fuck those pricks. And and like I was saying to you earlier, they look fucking ridiculous. What is with <laughs> the fucking helmet straps? Why? Yeah, why they're are, just chewing them up. Why like are they children. in their mouths? Why are they? They, they look like toddlers on the job, like just chewing those. That it just shows a really unself-aware British establishment. Right. Did they not want the police to be respected? I don't get it. Mmm, chewy helmet strap. Yum yum. It just makes. No, it's so funny. The way that they're so pathetic as well. Yeah. They come in and they're trying to be very soft with, and they're like, "Please, guys, please, can we, please, can we turn down the music?" it's really bizarre it's really bizarre to see this desperate couple of policemen (laughs) (laughs) yeah i heard their knock on the door i was looking away from the screen i was like fucking hell ringo's a bit out of time there (laughs) they just rap on the door and then they come in and then like you say are really pathetic their bark is worse than their bite they're like um (laughs) Uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna make a call to the station. Have you got a phone? They're pretty rubbish. Then the one of them who looks just like a little petulant toddler, he (laughs) starts to fancy himself a bit of a filmmaker. He's like, oh, can't they mime it? And you add the sound in. He's like, basically, can't you fix it in post? He's like, no, they can't fucking mime it. Every bit of Beatles footage since 1966 has been mimed. The whole point of this is that they're not fucking miming it, they're actually playing live as a competent rock band. God, I absolutely love how 
basically every single person in the building who interacts with the police is like half ignoring them uh, and half kind of being like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Um, let's see. Oh, we can do this. Uh, but like, it's like no one is taking the police seriously. They're all just like, oh. Yeah, some yeah, they seem okay. to pity them in some cases. Some yeah. I've like, oh, no idea, mate. I'm so, I'm just as confused as you. That was actually, I like, I think, yeah, one of them just calls them mate or something and not like officer or sir. And it's very like, yeah kick ass like this is the 60s <laughs> that we've heard about you know where they're just like subtly disrespecting the establishment yeah you know? so the police officers are inching their way like trying to get a little bit further trying to make their way up to the roof and every step of the way there's like another person being like oh hold on wait oh hey wait a minute let me think about mm, let me uh you know and just holding them up the way it's filmed <laughs> as well the way it's shown as this like endless journey that they're making and they just never get up there yeah they <laughs> don't the, Be- the, the Beatles stop playing before the cops actually get up there don't they and then they're joking afterwards oh maybe we should just say that they dragged us off yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah maybe we can roll. say that they yeah Say that they stopped us and we had to come down here and do the rest of it. Yeah, whereas in reality, they only had like seven songs they were confident <laughs> enough to perform up there. <laughs> they did like get back and I got a feeling like three times each. I think actually they used some of the takes from the rooftop on the album. Like I think I got a mm. feeling and get back and the canonical version of Don't Let Me Down from the B-side. Those are all rooftop performances, which shows how they actually did get into good enough shape to record some album-worthy performances, Mm. which is a big deal for the Beatles, because, like I was saying earlier, their albums for years to that point, every album track, every instrument on it had been recorded separately and worked over and over and processed and the finest sonic techniques, most innovative state-of-the-art technology used. And so it's a big deal that they sounded good enough at this live performance to include these tracks on their albums. Yeah. And yeah, it fucking rips the footage that you see of them looks roughly as cold as Twickenham. (laughs) (laughs) After a while, John's like, I can't feel my fingers anymore. (laughs) Mm. And then half of the people they interview on the ground, they ask everyone, do you know who you're listening to right now? I love that half of them are like, I don't know, who's that? Yeah. Who's that? And then the other half are like, Beatles, in it. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I, I guess some of them knew that that was where the Beatles were based, but at the same time, you have to imagine some of them just recognised the Beatles. They knew Beatles music when they heard it. Like, mm. their voices were so distinctive and they were so culturally ubiquitous at that point. Just walking down the street to Greg's and you hear the Beatles playing. Was Can Greg was Greg's about in 1969? Let's find out when when was Greg's opened. <laughs> Walking down the street to like Mother Mabel's pie shop. Greg's then... was founded in 1939 and it opened its first shop in 1951. Oh well, I stand corrected. <laughs> I don't know when it would have had London shops though. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Where is Greg's from? Newcastle. Who is Greg? John Gregg. That's John Gregg. He was a baker. (laughs) That would make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the rooftop concert is so fun. Just pure 
just good music good rock so many people up on that roof i love the part where the slightly the superior the constable is it the constable turns up and he's trying to get on the roof and he's like can i can i go up there and someone tells him oh actually you can't go up there because it is overloaded at the moment it's over it's yeah, health and at the safety moment. sorry officer <laughs> sorry gotta stay here <laughs> <laughs> i just love sometimes like literally seeing them make the decisions on this stuff but just the way that they delineate who plays what and what song because they're always serving the song it's not like george is like well i'm the lead guitarist so i'm gonna Mm. just shred throughout this tune (laughs) in fact they have some arguments because i think george probably does want to do a bit more like just ripping on the songs and Paul obviously has a very clear idea of what he wants on every song and there's that surreptitiously recorded conversation between uh, John and Paul where when George has temporarily quit the band Mm. John's saying well look Paul like you're you're very bossy (laughs) and Paul's like I know I know but I have to take control because the band needs like a kind of leader to steer them that used to be you and now it's me it's a really fascinating conversation to get Um, Mm. it's just great seeing stuff like I knew that Paul played acoustic guitar on two of us because it's just the kind of song where him and John are playing both playing acoustic guitar and singing harmony and it's that's just like kind of song it is but i always assumed he'd like gone in afterwards and laid down a really sick bass line on it it turns out the bass line on two of us that i'd assumed is paul is actually george on guitar mm. a bunch of songs seem to have bass played on guitar i guess they've just plugged a guitar into a bass amp i guess because george and john were both more comfortable on just regular guitar so they just make it sound like bass but anyway that was cool and seeing John play, I guess it wasn't any secret because the film Let It Be has been out for 50 years to some extent. You know, not properly out because obviously it's been widely suppressed by the Beatles since its initial release. But John plays all the sick licks on Get Back. It's like, it's really cool. It's above john lennon's level of guitar that i'd assume or there's john complaining that he 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 only has like two notes of bass to play on the long and winding road i just love all these little moments where they're Mm. they're just assigning roles you know who will play what and sometimes bitching about it (laughs) yeah it's just so good it's just so fucking good it's really great it's definitely my favorite peter jackson film (laughs) probably ever but at least since meet the feebles with the the puppet vietnam and heroin sequences oh wow do you like peter jackson are you into his oeuvre um not too much he's all right he's okay i'll accept him yeah i like the stuff i almost said australia it's like yeah fuck new zealand (laughs) not a real country Uh oh yeah (laughs) but i i like the stuff he made in new zealand when he was younger really grotesque horror films where there were lots of elements of comedy and he did so much stuff on them Mm. you know really creative guy with practical effects the lord of the rings and especially the hobbit stuff is, is is not as much my kind of thing but for me this is a terrific return to form for someone who's obviously like a very talented director and 
technician. This is obviously some state-of-the-art shit, the way that he's restored all this footage and it's got it sounding great and looking great. Hmm. You have some sort of uh, gaming engagement tonight, I believe. So, uh, I do. I can't remember when you said, but if you want to get going to that, then do not hesitate to say. No, that's cool. That's not for a while, so I'm still good. Oh, sweet. I wrote on Twitter, more historic words have never been spoken than when Ringo turns to George and says, have you heard the octopus one yet? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. So fucking good. Oh, Ringo's a genius. A lot of songwriters, they got loads of songs, you know, they got hundreds of these songs, and you're like, yeah, it's all right, it's fine. Then Ringo, he's got Octopus's Garden. and He certainly does. And he's got Don't Pass Me By and the lyric about a car crash where someone loses their hair. Ringo knows what he's about. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually listened to it, but so Ringo's solo material bit hit and miss you know not all stone cold classics but in 1970 george harrison had done a soundtrack to a film called wonderwall in the 60s and john lennon had done the two virgins albums with yoko which were more notable for them being naked on the covers than like the actual contents (laughs) but then ringo actually was the first of them to put out an album of just like songs (laughs) of conventional popular music and it was Sentimental Journey, and I think he just basically did standards. Like, Sentimental Journey itself, Stardust, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You, that kind of thing. It's got some of the fellas on it. Paul McCartney did the arrangement of the song Stardust. George Martin conducted Night and Day and Dream. Billy Preston played piano on one track and organ on another. Yeah, I really don't know Ringo solo stuff. I'm going to have to dive into this Ringo world later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got Klaus Vermin on that album anyway, is what I was saying before I had a complete brain freeze about what part of Germany <laughs> the Beatles used to play in. <laughs> but then, yeah, he did this album called Bo-Coops, Bo-Co Haram of Blues. Ringo was declaring himself the Boko Haram of blues. Okay, Ringo. <laughs> what can I say to that? <laughs> Bo- Ringo. <laughs> no, it's not actually a blues album, it's a country album. He was declaring himself the, the Boko Haram of country. <laughs> he put this out, like, so fast on the, on the tail of his first album. Like, March 1970, Ringo put out his standards album. And then September 1970... He was back with his first country album. Good God. <laughs> the musicians on this are, like, legit really good. Like, you've got Charlie Daniels on guitar, Ben Keith, Neil Young's primary pedal steel guitarist on pedal steel, as well as Pete Drake on pedal steel, DJ Fontana, who was Elvis's drummer on drums, Charlie McCoy on harmonica, legendary people. I think the thing about this album was like all the songs were specially written for Ringo by the musicians. God, this man <coughs> this man has 20 solo albums. I 20. know. He rec- What? <laughs> he recently announced that he's through with the album as an art form and oh, wow. he's okay. now only going to make EPs. Right. Mm. 
I can't. Interesting. But I can't see a list of EPs on on. Oh no, I can. Yeah, there you go. Extended plays. The four star collection. Do you get it? Four star. <laughs> It's from 1995. Okay, that's, yeah, that's some bullshit. But, yeah, then in in 2021, you've got Zoom In in March and Change the World in September. It's, in fact, much like the year of 1970 for Ringo, where he put out an album in both March and September. (laughs) Wow, Ringo, you don't stop. (laughs) <laughs> he really doesn't I'm sorry he has an album called I Wanna Be Santa Claus you gotta do a Christmas album it's like it's obligatory once you get to a certain the cover stature. of it is one of the most hideous things I've ever seen I'm sorry Ringo I'm sorry let me look this up <laughs> <laughs> sorry that's really funny <laughs> I guess it's they're trying to get like a kind of 60s psychedelic look it's very clip art looking. <laughs> it's like they've got the holly looking like a marijuana leaf. <laughs> very yeah, very Ringo-y. Has it, oh wow, that's got some Christmas originals as well. It's like Bob Dylan, so reverent of Christmas music as part of a folk tradition. There were no originals <laughs> on his Christmas album. Ringo's is like heavily Ringo written. <laughs> you got like come on christmas christmas come on <laughs> that's the most ringo thing i have actually ever heard come on christmas christmas come on you got i want to be santa claus <laughs> christmas eve the christmas dance I am going to ruin my family's life when I see them later this month by playing this album repeatedly and constantly. (laughs) Dear Santa, I wonder what a Ringo letter to Santa would be like. Uh, uh, And Pax Um Biscum, Peace Be With You, is another original by Ringo. And it's also notable on this album is that Ringo's albums traditionally have featured, like, 500 famous people on every song but this one clearly the well had run kind of dry because (laughs) eagles bassist timothy b schmidt gets a full feature credit on three different songs and that's kind of like one of the most tragic comic things about ringo is looking at the lineup of his all-star band over the years Mm. and how like in the late 80s when he started it literally everyone in it is like mad famous and legendary and then now it's just like some it's all just like some guy who was in Toto for like two years in the 90s (laughs) sad incredible yeah Ringo's solo material is interesting (laughs) it's it's a trip no, do you... I'm gonna have to be listening to every single one of these, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna rank them. <laughs> that would be an incredible project, going through every Ringo Starr album. If yeah, you... I might do it. I might make like a video where I do like one of those tier lists of them. <laughs> yeah, that would be really fun. <laughs> it would be such a novel approach because, like, generally people do that with like Leonard Cohen or something. You know, like someone mm. really respected, they go through all, all, all the albums, but like. I very much advocate doing that with artists who are less critically revered, you know? Obviously yeah, Ringo yeah. revered as a drummer, but not so much as a solo artist. And it's kind of interesting. Look, it's got 22 albums or something. Like, what if one of them is a masterpiece? 
and just because people are like oh it's Ringo Starr yeah I'm so interested I mean even just like reading his album's names it's like really entertaining yeah there's got to be some really good shit in there what if Vertical Man is is actually (laughs) like a really like soul-bearing personal record yeah, what's going? What's gonna be? I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to get into it. God, the album covers though. <laughs> Ringo, <laughs> what the fuck? It's the Vertical Man album. This is terrible. It looks like he just put a load of rejected album covers within a star on, yeah, on, on another <laughs> album cover that he definitely should have rejected. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. <laughs> time takes time. Is, oh my god, the album art on Time Takes Time is amazing. Ooh, I love that one, yeah. This is so good. I, I love this. This is like, have you... The little fantasy animals that look like they're illustrations from a children's book, <laughs> and then Ringo wearing sunglasses in the middle, kind of looking like, um, I don't know, Saudi Arabian Instagram influencers or something. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. This is like, I get, this looks like a kind of like Buddhist-inspired thing, like... <laughs> It's like Ringo at the center of a circle of life. Right, yeah. It's very god. And it's just so like I mean, he looks like a twitchy emote in the middle there. <laughs> he looks so like you've pasted a twitchy emote into this illustration. It's amazing. I love it. I love that one. <laughs> I, I really do love this stuff. Like, have you heard of the album Old Sock by Eric Clapton? Oh yes, yes I I've, have. I've probably posted the image a number the <laughs> cover a number of times on Twitter. It's just like I love this thing because like there must be like hardcore Clapton fans who listen to every album he puts out. But I don't know who these people are. <laughs> Some someone because he's his, right. Someone's out there. His career yeah. has been sustained all these years. Like some he can't. It can't just be Eric Clapton listening to new eric clapton albums right someone someone's out there loving the shit out of this yeah so it's like when i see old sock i'm just like how does he see old sock as like figuring into like the pantheon of his music like (laughs) how does it compare to like i just what's a really like shitty eric clapton out money and cigarettes that the album that eric clapton made when you know he 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 gave up drinking uh, and all he had left was money uh, and cigarettes you know that when you you're just cleaned out just your life is just empty all you have is just masses and masses of money we can all relate it reminds me also a lot of the uh, van morrison song ringworm oh wow that's a, is that on the contractual obligation record it might be i'm not sure but like so iconic yeah yeah that is that is uh (laughs) van so he like recorded his first album for a producer called burt burns and it was this album that was released by burns's label as blowing your mind which is like the most cynical like 1967 we're gonna take this non-psychedelic artist and just arbitrarily slap a psychedelic name on his record kind of name van morrison was so fucked off about this and he had this bunch of new music that would become the astral weeks album but was even less conventional than the blowing your mind stuff 
but he needed to get out of his contract so he just went into the studio and just recorded like these nonsense songs about 30 of them and this is his basement tapes slash get back sessions Mm. Uh, van morrison uh contractual obligation let me just read you some of the song titles (laughs) of this classic uh classic session by van morrison twist and shake shake and roll stomp and scream scream and holler jump and thump jump and thump shake it mabel hold on george the big royalty check there you go ringworm oh my god freaky if you got this far he seemed to anticipate that eventually <laughs> these sessions would see release. <laughs> or no, I guess that was probably aimed at Burt Burns, saying, you're mad if you're listening to this entire tape. Up your mind. <laughs> All the bits. You say France and I whistle. Blow in your nose. Nose in your blow. La Mambo. Go for yourself. Want a Danish. Here comes dumb George. Don't know who George was. <laughs> Chicky Coo. Do it. Hang on Groovy. Goodbye George. Dumb dumb George. Walk and talk. The wobble. And wobble and ball. Wow. Now that's good stuff there. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yeah, just like the levels of spite towards his record company cannot be overstated. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean, Van Morrison has some stuff that is like, you know, old sock. Time takes time. I'm just trying to think, Vertical Man style records, like mm. his, well, his latest record project, latest record project, <laughs> a return to the spirit of the contractual obligation sessions. God, incredible stuff. Ugh, there's so much, there's so much art in this world, isn't there? Just incredible. <laughs> I'm constantly amazed by the art that exists in this world. Ah. Uh... What is it? It reminds me. There's something I'm thinking of, and it's a David Byrne album with a cartoon dog <laughs> on the cover of the album. Oh, wow. It... I first started talking to you about David Byrne because you made a video about him. That I <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. Shit, what album is this? I'm drawing I'm trying a blank. To remember the name of it. Oh, it's called. Isn't it called Uh Oh? Uh oh. Is that right? Uh oh, that's such a. Di- didn't David. Isn't there a story about David Byrne getting mugged and going, Uh oh? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so the album's called Uh Oh, and like that just, it reminds me, I was just thinking of that because it's one of the most incredible album covers I've ever seen. It's amazing. This is incredible. Just like a Snoopy looking cartoon, goofy looking cartoon dog sitting on this chair in heaven or something with a bunch of angels <laughs> yeah. surrounding him. Like, it's so good. On a throne in heaven, it looks it's like. It's so good. What the fuck? Have you seen the cover of Bob Dylan's Saved album? It's like that oh, no, without the dog. A huge hand reaching down oh, wow. to save the outstretched <laughs> hands of the masses. The hand coming down looks so limp as well. 
Yeah, yeah, I know it's it's not good artwork. Very, very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's not a true testament to the awesome power of God. I don't think. <laughs> It looks like God's just like kind of trying Ugh. to do the like rock devil horns with his hands, Ugh, but like isn't quite able to do it right, can, and it's just like can, limp instead. Can you not reach up a little bit higher? Make me put I'm having to put in so much effort. Fucking hell. Oh god. Alright, well I am I'm actually getting hungry now. That's so cool. we should wrap it up. Yeah, go and do your thing. Let me just search on Twitter like Beatles. Uh, <laughs> Beatles, yes, yes. If there's yes, any yes. stuff that I've forgotten. Like <laughs> my own tweets about the Beatles at least. No, there's the cynical tweets that I made before watching the documentary. Oh, actually, that's something I saved, and it was like a screen. I made a screenshot of at one point, fairly near the end, George Harrison sitting with his feet up on something, and he's wearing these incredible boots. His that are like looks are incredible throughout this. Like he's wearing some fantastic psychedelic garb. Yeah, that's that, and I screenshotted the one newspaper page or magazine page that was Paul McCartney winking, and it's the funniest image i have ever seen <laughs> i like the bit where john just goes take drugs this is like he barely like noticed the context just seems like an instruction to anyone who might be watching <laughs> yeah what has been annoying is just the fact that because this documentary has been like the latest beatles related cultural phenomenon loads of people have been talking about it who like don't know what it's been so annoying the amount of people i've heard say well you know the beatles were like a boy band and it's like (laughs) no they weren't they were literally like just a band how how how, i i don't even get how it's supposed to be but there's one guy who was backing up this boy band claim by saying people had hits with songs taking the piss out of the beatles and it's like yeah, but it wasn't like mocking them for being bad musicians. It was like, oh, I want some of that Beatles money. I'm going to make a Beatles sounding song. Oh, it's the kind of thing where they're so famous. Of course, they're going to have parodies of them. That's what happens. Well, yeah, and the example that they used when the person said that in this podcast, they played a clip of a song from Ruttles, which was made, right, w- right. which was not somebody <laughs> taking the piss out of Beatlemania when it was happening because it was so culturally ubiquitous. It was made almost a decade after the band had split up, and, right. and was not what that um, you know. No, right. It was the a point, direct. Point of... It was a direct but very affectionate parody. Yeah was not the point of the Ruttles to kind of take the cultural existence of Beatlemania and then apply that to a funny little fake band. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and have that be like, you know, hey, we're the Ruttles, we're silly. silly." (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I guess like, yeah, using the Ruttles to illustrate that point seemed bizarre to me because it wasn't like somebody trying to capitalise on a trend in the 60s. It was somebody looking back with essentially the hindsight Mm. of history, consciously commentating on that phenomenon in a way that wouldn't be happening with the Beatles, not like an incredibly significant band. And yeah, most people have been very positive about it in response, but like a lot of people have just been coming out with the, the Beatles suck kind of takes and yeah people love their opinions about the beatles i'm somewhat affectionate about beatles hating (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of beatles hating but i do love the beatles so i just hear a lot of these takes and think you've not heard the records 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, they're such a symbol, even more than they are a band to so many people. So you get a lot of it, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One thing that, that, that this made me think about this this film was how much for the major rock artists of the late 60s not touring added to their mystique because like the Beatles kind of shut themselves away largely in Abbey Road Studios after 1966 Mm. it probably made them even more legendary than if they'd have been touring the world and like literally appearing in person to thousands of people globally and like literally the same thing happened to Bob Dylan he stopped touring in 1966 and then he played a a gig like the Beatles a gig in 1969 and then didn't properly come back onto the road until 74 and Brian Wilson because of his mental problems he stopped touring with the Beach Boys although the Beach Boys continued to tour without him in the mid 60s and that added to his mystique and the Stones like also they took a couple of years off the road in this time and I can't think of like any better like historical cultural examples of absence makes the heart grow fonder than just the Mm. fact that these guys all like ensconce themselves in history even more by just taking a step back I guess this was them like getting back like around this time people like the Stones did a big tour of North America Dylan did for one gig on the Isle of Wight Festival and the Beatles did their rooftop gig and it's kind of like all right we'll rock but on our own terms. (laughs) I joked at the start we'd have to like talk for seven and a half hours to really do justice to a lot Mm. of this stuff and I appreciate that you you have your you want to get some food and you have your uh, your gaming thing later. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, whenever Ringo drops his new 2022 hyper-pop single or whatever the fuck he's cooking up, um, (laughs) we'll have to do a solid two hours about that. (laughs) 100%, or if I can find the 1978 Ringo TV movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm I'm gonna delve in to Ringo's world, for sure. Yeah, like, who could resist albums like Old Wave... Time takes time. Ringo Rama. Bad boy. Bad boy. Oh, he is in a real bad boy, to be fair. Choose yeah. Love. Ringo 2012. His album from 2011. No, I'm kidding, obviously. Uh, yeah, like, big, big stuff. A prolific artist. In the marketplace of ideas, Ringo does win. <laughs> he triumphs. <laughs> he stands tall above all others, all competitors. God, doesn't he? So yeah, it's been good to like you know really get down into the nitty gritty of appreciating <laughs> the musical genius of Ringo Starr. The lead. Yeah, this is such a this has become a, such a Ringo um, recording here. The leader of the Beatles. It has become. <laughs> yeah, the leader of the Beatles. Yes. It's become yeah. a, a Ringo Rama. <laughs> one could say, to quote the classic album, which I'm sure there'll be a a seven and a half hour Peter Jackson documentary coming out on any day now. (laughs) God, I can't wait. Any day now it shall be released. Okay, like now on that Bait Dylan reference, let's wrap this up, I guess. Oh, right, cool. It's been real. One, 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 one by which I missed three more more things. Just like one of my favourite quotes. Do you want a dry bun? Dry bun? Yeah. It's like the catches the beautiful mundanity of this. Also, there's this bit where George is really pissed off and he just goes, 
good vibes, man. And it's like the most <laughs> venomous bad vibe thing that I've ever heard. I think George Harrison is the Slytherin Beetle. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. I went there. <laughs> wow. Does that mean like he's a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's just very right wing on taxation. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> oh, and the final thing was, I wanted to ask you, do you have any... Because I ended our last episode with a special Dylan reading of the song Man Gave Names to All the Animals, where he explains how a cow came to be named a cow. I was wondering if you had any Beatles lyrics that you would like to conclude this episode with, a kind of poetic Ooh, reading. Interesting. I might do a little bit of polythene Pam. Okay, uh, tell tell us about Pam. Okay, one sec, let me just grab these. <laughs> you don't know them off by heart, outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I need to look carefully, but you can't be disrespecting polythene Yeah, Pam. exactly, like, this is a sacred we text. We cannot do that. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, you know, you, you gotta, okay. All right, here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you should see Polythene Pam. She's so good looking, but she looks like a man. Well, you should see her in drag, dressed in her polythene bag. Yes, you should see Polythene Pam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get a dose of her in jack boots and kilt. She's killer dilla when she's dressed to the hilt she's the kind of girl Gil. that makes the news of the world. world yes you could say she was attractively built <laughs> yeah 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 that's it isn't it that's polythene pam yeah a very concise song and conveys so much it really does <laughs> really gets me really gets me in the feelings <laughs> oh well uh thanks lily this has been a really really fun conversation we've gone well over two and a quarter hours <laughs> yeah it's been real good i think we got to the bottom of a lot of things i think we brought up a lot of good points and mm -hmm. i think we have much to think about i think this has been very thought-provoking thank you very much yeah it's been really fun and yeah enjoy your engagements tonight I will, thank you so much. Including the yes. one with food now. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye. Wahoo. Whoa. Ow. Suicide <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Thank you. 